Hello everyone, it's Antoinette Oglethorpe here with the Talent Development Mastery Podcast. Today I'm talking to Pip Clark, who is Principal Consultant and Director with Assessment and Development Consultants. We all know that we're living in a time of accelerated change, and I'm going to be talking to Pip about what we need to do to develop leaders who can operate successfully in this ever-changing world. Hi, Pip. Welcome to the call. Hi, Antoinette. Nice to be here. So, Pip, today we're going to talk about future-proofing our leaders. But before we do that, can you tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, of course. So, at ANDC, we really focus on equipping leaders to maximize their potential and their performance in what we know is an increasingly complex business environment. And we would class ourselves as the leaders in behavioral assessment and development uh, in helping leaders and managers to do that. Okay. So um, one of the challenges with talent and leadership development is that we're always trying to look into the future And, of course, none of us actually have a crystal ball. Um, But in terms of your work with organizations and leaders, what kind of changes are you seeing and what do you anticipate um, the world will look like in 5, 10, 15 years from now? Yes, that is the major question, isn't it, that we're always trying to predict and is becoming increasingly difficult because we all know that the world is changing and and that the pace of that change is accelerating at an unprecedented rate. Uh, I mean, for example, uh, I heard the other day that 42% of jobs in the U.S. are predicted to disappear within the next decade or so, uh, which is extraordinary. But obviously other jobs that we haven't even thought about uh, will come in and take their place. So we can't even see um, the changes that are coming at us uh, or understand the impact that they're going to have on us. But at AMDC, what we've tried to do is to study the global environment and take soundings from the research that is out there and establish what we would call global megatrends. Now, these are are things that do stand the test of time, i.e. they are uh, trends that you can predict um, in 15 years or so in advance. They're also trends that have a fundamental impact on our civilization, and they have a far-reaching impact on businesses, um, governments, and whole nations. So they are the things that we can, as much as we can, predict. Uh, And there are, as, as we know from our research, about six key trends that are worth me describing in very brief Uh, detail to you because they will have a significant impact on the way that we live our lives over the next 15 years. Uh, The first of these is changing demographics so that we know that the world population is growing. That's no secret. But the same time as the population is growing, it's also aging. And what this means is that as organizations and businesses, we're going to have to adapt to an aging employee workforce because not all of those people who get older are going to want to retire. They are still going to need to earn incomes and they will want to to keep working too. And for the first time ever, we're going to have four generations of people working in the same environment. That will present us with some challenges. Um, 
And whilst the, the uh, overall population is growing and that ageing workforce does want to work still, it does mean that the overall pool of talent will reduce as the population increases. And what that means is that, as somebody said to me quite glibly the other day, um, the war for talent is over and talent has won. And the reducing pool of talent will mean that organisations are going to have to work much harder to find and retain the key talent that they need. The so second I'm going to stop you there, Pip, to understand yes. that. We say um, the, the, the workforce is growing, but the pool of talent is reducing. Do you mean yes. as a percentage of the workforce? Yeah, we, no, as the, the overall workforce will be reducing because whilst the population is growing, that population is ageing and a lot of that workforce will stop working. So oh, the baby boom era is coming to an end with the, those people going into retirement and uh, if not stopping work, reducing their hours. So actually the number of people available in, in talent is going to reduce. Got you, got you. So just to, to carry on and tell you a little bit about how the world might look in the next 15 or so years then, globalization, which is not a new term, has been around for a while, but it is going to have considerable impact on businesses and individuals. So the economic predictions are notoriously unreliable, but there is no doubt that there is a significant shift of economic power towards Asia. Uh, how much or how little that happens is is up for debate, but there's no doubt that there is a shift. And we're going to have to adapt, therefore, to an increased influence from Asian markets and from Asian cultures. And that's going to impact the way that we do business and the way that uh, we, um, we relate to other people. We're all also recognizing that the developing nations are going to swell the ranks of the middle classes. And this what this means, in turn, is that those who have more disposable income in those um, middle-class ranks uh, will be better educated and will therefore want uh, and demand more choice. And that's what we term more individualization. Uh, and it means that organizations are going to have to start to think much more broadly about how to provide highly tailored solutions to their clients in terms of how they sell to their clients, the sort of markets that they enter. Um, for example, a lot of retail organizations now um, have been creating customer profiles for a while, but they're not just um, suggesting individual items that customers should buy, as Amazon does every time you go on and order things. But whole lifestyles are being put before people in terms of giving them more choice about the things that they want to buy. So that's from a consumer angle, uh, but organizations are also going to have to look at it from an employee angle, because as individualism rises, employees are going to want to have more choice about the way they work and the way they um, interrelate with each other and their bosses. And that's going to mean that whole working structures might need to change uh, in the future. Now, the environmental crisis is the next global trend. And again, that's something that we've heard an, an, an a huge amount about um, over recent years. But it does mean as that um, pace of environmental change increases that we are going to have to, as individuals and businesses, learn to do more with much less. So there'll be scarcer resources 
And that means that we'll have to make different choices uh, and have different constraints on how we live and what we do in business. Um, technological convergence. Now, there's a term. Um, <laughs> that, if you can get your, your, um, your mouth around that one, what, what that is about is about the, the fact that some of the challenges that I've just described are going to be mitigated by huge technological advancement. And we can already see that in so many ways in so many different environments. Um, dropping a probe onto a comet 300 million miles away is extraordinary. But then, you know, on the more mundane levels, the way that we shop and do business is changing with Amazon trialing drones to drop off parcels to us. Uh, all of these technological advancements are going to tra literally transform the way that we live and the way that we do business. And they're going to help us to successfully navigate this change and survive the changing environment. So where the real advances, though, are going to come in terms of technological advancement are where technologies converge across different industries. And examples of that are rife in the medical arena, where you've got engineering and technological solutions being used to provide innovative ways of treating people and providing them with much-needed surgery and much-needed um, tailored interventions for their own particular health problems. And then the final trend, which sort of pulls things all together, really, is that with all of these megatrends, it's going to come... Big, um, it's going to come a, a really an inevitable impetus for businesses to work together uh, in real collaboration. There's going to be nowhere to hide in this future very transparent world for businesses who do not operate in a way that creates sustainable business and creates a sustainable environment. And so organizations and individuals are going to have to act in a much more responsible way to ensure that the planet is around for us all to live on uh, in, <laughs> in simple terms. So regional issues, for example, again, uh, are now global issues. You see that with the Ebola virus, for example. Um, that's a regional issue, but we're all impacted by the threat of it, and we're all having to take responsible action to prevent it becoming a global crisis. And there are going to be lots of different uh, challenges like that that we're going to have to fa face as a global um, business world. Wow. So, so if I can just um, summarise those, the, the six global megatrends that um, you've talked about there, we've got changing demographics with an ageing workforce and a workforce that's going to have four generations working in it. Um, we've got globalised, the second one is globalisation, and we've got a shift towards Asia in terms of future markets. Um, the third one was around individualism and mm -hmm. the impact of that on consumers, but also on employees. The fourth was um, the environmental crisis and the impact that that's going to have in terms of uh, sustainability. Uh, the fifth was technological convergence and how innovation and new technologies can all come together to enable organizations. And that final one was about um, everyone working together and sharing responsibility globally uh, for the sustainability of the planet. Does that's that absolutely them? 
absolutely spot on yes wow that's a that's a lot of information um to uh take in and to try and respond to um what does that actually mean for those of us who are trying to respond to that and um you know developing leaders that operate in those environments uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Antoinette. It is. It does seem um, an enormous amount of information to take on, and and some t- somehow almost too big to consider. And the temptation is therefore to just keep ploughing on and do things the way that we've always done them and and uh, put our heads in the sand. But that really isn't an option. Uh, is is what we're finding. And we are now living in a world of volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity, that VUCA term that we keep hearing about these days. Um, And it is very much the new normal. Uh, And and whilst we've come out of a serious economic recession, um, thinking that things will get back to normal, the old normal just isn't there. The only normal is the fact that uh, change is is now constant. And the only certainty is that is uncertainty. So we can't keep on doing the things the, the way we've always done them. It's not going to work in this VUCA world. So what leaders need to do is to find a way of embracing this new normal and not ignoring it and trying to keep going on the way they've always done things. Because as human beings, we are very habit-forming and we do like patterns and to do things in the same ways. And we're very bad at... Uh, changing our behaviours, uh, and I know that from being in leadership development, behavioural leadership development for the last 15 years. Um, but they're going to have to learn to do that in order to navigate this new world and to create opportunities in this new world because it sounds sometimes quite threatening and as if uh, we're, we're facing catastrophe. But actually, in every new environment, there is great opportunity. And for every change, there is great opportunity. So the leaders that would succeed will embrace this new normal, and that's really where at NBC we're focusing our attention in terms of helping leaders to embrace the change and to do leadership in a very different way. I mean, one of the things that um, I've observed with my clients is that there is still a tendency to um, create a change or a restructure. It's normally is how it's normally seen from the outside create a restructure, get everything set in place, try and uh, adapt in order to change. And then two years later, 18 months later, there's another change, restructure. How can organizations be more emergent, if you like, in terms of the way they respond to change rather than this uh, more staccato approach? Well, you're right. It is absolutely um, an issue for today in terms of um, trying to create restructure and think that that will solve the issues. What our research has led us uh, to to believe very firmly and to come to some very fundamental conclusions about is the nature of leadership itself. Um, Traditional leadership models have, have always focused on a couple of aspects of leadership as being the the, the sort of answer to everybody's problems. So traditional leadership models will will focus heavily on capabilities such as intellect. That's always been the tried and tested um, 
I suppose, benchmark of whether you're a good leader or not is whether you have the ability to be a strategic thinker and to form sound judgments and, and come to good decisions um, for the business. So, so that's one element. The second element that traditional models have focused on is drive. So the, the capability around getting results, focusing on the bottom line, achieving your goals. Those sort of traditional aspects of leadership have, have, are just not enough in today's modern environment. They are still important, but they're not enough. Um, emotional intelligence has come about uh, and into focus more recently. So your ability to not only understand and manage your own emotions, but also to do that with other people's emotions, um, it has been seen as very important to successful modern leadership where you're much, much more likely to need to get engagement and buy-in and followership from your employees in a, in a modern context. But those three aspects of leadership um, really don't don't complete the picture in a VUCA environment. So what we have found from our research is that there are two other significant components of leadership that will have a dramatic uh, effect on how businesses are run and how successfully they survive. And those are learning, so your ability to adapt and evolve to changing circumstances. Again, it's, it's always been... Um, uh, a benchmark of, of good leadership that you have the experience that's required to do the job that you're required to do. Well, that's no longer enough. You can't just draw on your experience and use that experience in the same context because the context will have changed. What you need to do is to take that experience and, and apply it in your new environment and so adapt and evolve your behavior accordingly and take your learning and mold it. That we have found is absolutely pivotal to being a successful modern leader. And the fifth component that we've, we've established as being vital is values-driven leadership. So your ability to inspire and lead authentically um, is absolutely key to gaining followership and to inspiring those around you. Because if you think about it, in, a, in an uncertain world where everything is changing, what people want from their leaders is certainty. And they want to know that their leaders, they want to know what their leaders stand for. And they also want to see them walking the talk, not just saying things uh, and paying lip service to them. So values-driven leadership is going to be absolutely vital uh, in a modern environment. But what we, we know that is in this modern world of constant flux, um, leadership is not about having one or two key strengths. Fifteen or so years ago, the, the, the answer to leadership was always about your, creating your signature strengths and becoming good at one, two, maximum three things and focusing on that as your individual leadership style. Well, what we know now is that the modern leader needs to be equipped and good at all five aspects of leadership that I've just described. So learning, intellect, values-driven leadership, emotions, and drive. All of those five components that make up our leadership model called LIVED are absolutely vital to being a successful leader, and they are, you are only able to be a successful leader if you employ all five of those elements together and not in isolation. And just to give you an example of, of that is that you may be the most driven leader on the planet, 
But if you have um, if you don't have values as part of your uh, leadership arsenal, you won't create the followership. People won't follow where you're wanting them to go. And similarly, you may be very results-focused, but if your judgment is impaired and it's not a strong point for you, then you may take that organization and those people in completely the wrong direction. So you need to employ all five of those elements in harmony together, um, and that's the power of lived leadership. Mm. So, I mean, it sounds like it's already got a kind of inbuilt balanced scorecard. It it encompasses, your model encompasses the what of leadership and the how of leadership. Yes, Yes, it absolutely does. Yes, and that's the key to all of this is the behaviors that underpin those those five core elements that that really do provide a very holistic model we believe um, has very few holes we cannot uh, uh, over the years that we've looked at this find any significant gaps in that leadership model and um, with some of them it's very clear how you would assess them Um, Mm. and some I'm I'm probably less clear so um, can you assess people's um, is capability the right word um, or assess people's behaviours in each of these different areas? The answer, the simple answer to that, Antoinette, is, is absolutely you can because as an organisation we specialise in behavioural assessment and development uh, and so we focus very much on changing behaviour in order to maximise individual um, potential. So we believe that you can absolutely develop each of those five different components and assess for that in a pretty sophisticated assessment process um, uh, to establish where the strengths and where the development gaps are in that lived leadership model. And you just said you can, uh, you believe that leaders can develop in each of these areas. So it's not um, that that's your snapshot and um, if that's, how you're assessed, that's it forever. You can actually develop in each of these areas. Yes, absolutely. Now, there, are, there is always a caveat with this because uh, from our experience, we know that you can develop behaviour um, um, in, in all of those five capabilities, but you also need to be motivated uh, to do so. So you can have leaders who are pretty competent in some aspects of leadership, but if they're not motivated to develop those behaviours and to enhance those skills, then they'll be less successful. So if you don't have the predisposition and the motivation to um, become better at learning, for example, then your focus won't be on that and you probably won't do it. Right, got you. So um, it's always hard to get the future discussed today. Uh, yes. Leadership development is all about the future. Um, a number of organisations um, will be saying, well, we've got leadership development sorted out, thanks very much. We've got um, a framework. We've got a development programme. It's all going on. Um, mm. You've just highlighted the fact that actually the way organisations have been doing it will not be sufficient for mm. this changing future. How do we, you know, do you have any advice on how we can ensure um, it rides up the priority list in general, 
for those organisations where they're struggling to get attention to leadership development um, on its own. Uh, but also, if they think they're already doing it, how can you get attention to the fact that things need to change? Well, I suppose I would challenge business leaders uh, with a couple of questions. And I would, I would say to them, are they completely confident that they have the right leaders in place to take the business forward in the future over the next five or ten years? Do they have, are they confident that their leaders are equipped and that they have the right leadership in place? All the surveys that we see seem to suggest the opposite, that CEOs, MDs of businesses believe very firmly that there are gaps in their leadership capability and significant gaps too. So that would be the first question. The second question that I would challenge them with is, are you completely confident that your business is as good as it could be, that it is doing all the things and going in the right direction that you need it to? And I would say that there would be very few businesses that feel there aren't challenges on the horizon and that there aren't uncertainties in terms of the way that they are doing business and the way that they will be doing businesses in the future. And I think one of the biggest issues that we face today um, in, in the modern environment is that because of the economic uncertainty that we're still facing today, a lot of businesses are sitting on their hands and waiting to see what happens. They're waiting for the next thing, for the next piece of information so that they can make a decision about strategic, uh, the strategic way forward for their business. Well, I'm afraid that the new normal means that they won't be able to see around the corner very clearly and that they will have to take decisions based on ambiguous information that doesn't give them all of the answers. And that for me, is a prescription very much for lived leadership development um, uh, to come to the rescue because leaders that do become lived leaders will be able to navigate that uncertainty and will be equipped, therefore, to make decisions where there is great uncertainty, they, there is ambiguity, uh, and they will be able to use their judgment in confidence and taking people with them. It strikes me this is very important for succession planning as well, because I think there is always a danger with succession planning that people are, uh, the incumbents are, are looking at people like them. And what I'm hearing from you is you know, that's the last thing you want. Actually, you want um, leaders of the future that are quite different to the leaders of the past. Yes, and I think that, that many of our clients are facing that issue, that very issue, that they, they aren't confident that there are the people beneath them to, uh, to rise up and take on those, those next business challenges. And you're right. Leaders do need to evolve and they do need to be different from their predecessors. Um, that is the nature of the world that we live in, that none of us can stand still and be the same. We all have to evolve ourselves but we also have to look for different skill sets around us um, and for changing and evolving leaders as our successors. So are there any organisations that are doing this particularly well, Pip? Who can we <laughs> learn from? A million-dollar question. I think it's, it's very hard to say um, with, with any degree of certainty that there are organisations out there who've got it right. I mean, I am in the same boat as, as most people in that I read 
what I read in the press, I read articles and I work, work with my clients, but most of the information that I glean is, is anecdotal. So there are anecdotal examples of organizations and individual leaders that are doing some things very well. So a very um, topical uh, example of that is that today, um, Management Today have published their most admired leaders list uh, and the MD of John Lewis, Andy Street, has come out as the most admired leader um, from that survey. Now, his, his profile is very interesting when you think about it from a, lead, a lived leadership context because he has, he's, he's, he's quoted as saying that the moral compass by which we run this organization is always in play. And the John Lewis Constitution uh, states that the success for business is defined as being measured by happiness of those working in it and by its good sense of service to the general community. Now, that's a, 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 an absolutely brilliant example of values-driven leadership. And you can see the business results for John Lewis um, are, are, are good with the turnover uh, overtaking Marks and Spencer's last year. Now, you can't hand on heart say it's because of Andy Street's uh, values-based leadership that that is happening, but there will be an impact and there will be an association. Mm. And then other... other Total examples might include uh, leaders like Richard Branson, who, again, you know, I hesitate to mention him because he's trotted out in every article as an example of something or other. But he is a very good example of a leader who, who learns, evolves, and adapts to changing circumstances. He has applied learning across a, a range of different businesses and industries, and he's famously quoted as saying that uh, he, he and his organization have made far many more mistakes than they've had successes, and that his, his great trick as a leader and a successful businessman is to learn from those mistakes and apply things in a different way going forward. So he, he would demonstrate for me a very good example of a, of a learning um, leader. Yeah, fascinating. And <clears throat> that whole question of um, of not succeeding all the time and um, actually being brave enough to make mistakes as long as you learn from them, I guess is a whole other area of leadership development that um, we could um, explore if we had time. Um, Absolutely. I, I think just to, to, to say on that, that organizations are going to need to look very carefully, and some are, at how they view failure within their ranks and how they deal with it and how they reward people or punish them accordingly. Fascinating. It's, uh, you've opened up so many uh, lines of thinking here, Pip. I think uh, you'll be triggering lots of uh, ideas in people's head as they listen to this. I think uh, the global megatrends uh, probably... A lot of us knew of them in the back of our mind, but actually bringing those to the surface and uh, what they mean for us in organizational leadership development um, really does start the cogs whirring. Um, mm. And the lived model, it sounds fabulous um, in terms of a, a framework for assessing and developing leaders of the future. Um, obviously, we've only been able to touch on these things at a high level. 
if people want to find out more about them, about you, about AMDC, where should they go? They should go to our website, which is www.adc.uk.com. Uh, and they will find out uh, how to get in touch with us and how to get in touch with me from that site. Um, that's probably the, the quickest and simplest way of, of me providing that information. But there is so much more to tell. Uh, we have only touched the tip of the iceberg. Well, it's been fascinating. I, I mean, this isn't the first time I've heard this from you, but hearing it again has triggered a whole new line of thinking and discussion. So thank you so much for your time and for providing all those insights um, to help people adapt to this new VUCA landscape. Um, so thank you very much, Pip. Oh, and thank you, Antoinette. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you to everyone listening to this podcast. If it's triggered any questions or comments that you'd like to share, please email me at Antoinette at AntoinetteOglethorpe.com or post a comment on my blog. Thanks a lot. Bye for now.